Well, church family, those questions came from you all. Those are your questions. Um, Last fall, when I asked for input about what we'd be learning during our teaching time here in 2015, uh, heaven, the topic of heaven, just dominated all other topics. And so clearly, we are curious. We're curious about heaven. And we're going to be talking about those questions here in the next several weeks. But my question is, why is that? What is it that drives our curiosity about heaven and the afterlife and eternal life with God? What is all of that about anyway? Well, well, I've been thinking about it, um, and I think there's three reasons. Uh, preachers like to talk in threes, so... There's three reasons, um, and this is not on your outline. This is before. This is the in, this is the introduction part of it, right? So, but one reason is just the reality of death. Okay, I mean, uh, we all have this terminal disease called death, and the last I checked, the current uh, you know death rate is 100 percent. So. You know, um, I'm thinking of that movie that I think it's the funniest movie of all my funny movie favorites is What About Bob? And Richard Dreyfuss's son, Siggy, his famous line, you're going to die. I'm going to die. We're all going to die. Right? There it is. Welcome to Windsor Road Christian Church. By the way, glad you're here, you know. But, uh, <laughs> you know, have, have, you, have you heard of the, um, have, you ever, have you heard of the world death clock? <laughs> oh, yeah. If things get slow here in the next few minutes, I mean, there is actually a, uh, uh, you can dial up on your cell phone. There's this, this, this site called the world death clock. And it's just a clock. But then while the clock is running, there's also this tally of all of the people that are dying. And so, uh, over the course of a year in the world, there'll be 56 million deaths, and that kind of uh, breaks down to about 1.8 deaths per second. So, in my 35-minute message, there will be uh, 3,780 deaths. How was your sermon, Randy? Well, 3,780 people died, you know, so there it is. Um, it's like, that's awkward. <laughs> well, I mean, we don't like to talk about it, but death is real. And really, we need the perspective of the psalmist who in Psalm 39.4 said, O oh Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Some of your translations say in that particular verse, Lord, teach me to number my days. Number my days. So we, we don't like to think about the reality of death until it's forced upon us. And then we, then we fear it. And part of the reason why learning about heaven is so important is so that we will not be paralyzed by the fear of death. The New Testament book of Hebrews gives us encouragement when it says that Christ Put on flesh and experience death. Why? Hebrews 2.15. 
to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So we're learning about our eternal home so that we will not be paralyzed by and enslaved by the fear of death. That's one reason, okay? Another reason why we need to talk about uh, the reality of heaven and our ever after with God is simply because there's just a lot of bad information out there. There really is. There's a lot of bad information out there about heaven. And uh, I'm thinking of that cartoonist, Gary Larson, and the far side. All right? I'm thinking of this guy in a robe, wings, halo. He's, I wish I'd brought a magazine. You know, really, really, you know, almost subconsciously, that's just kind of our worry. You know, you know I mean, it used to be that people would you know, fear hell because of the flames, and now we just kind of fear heaven because of the, you know, boredom of it all. And worse still, we imagine heaven as this, you know, eternal, unending church service where we just kind of stay in here forever. And, and sing songs, and, and Randy gets up and goes on and on and on and on and on, and we just want to go, oh, come, Lord Jesus. Oh, wait, you did. For this? Really? Really? And, and by the way, only an, in, only an entertainment-saturated culture would think that. Yeah. A profound statement of Sunday morning. Here it is. Write this down. Randy Alcorn, in uh, his book titled Heaven, has this profound statement. You're going to want to write this down. Here it is. We do not desire to eat gravel. There you go. We do not desire to eat gravel. And do you know why we do not desire to eat gravel? Because God has not designed you to eat gravel. He's not designed you for that. And so trying to develop an appetite uh, for uh, heaven as some disembodied existence floating on a cloud, you know, in a non-physical heaven is kind of like trying to strum up an appetite for gravel. And as, you know, sincere as we might be or as hard as we might try, it's just not going to happen. And so I'm thinking of C.S. Lewis, who once said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. I was made for another world. And that leads me to the third reason why we uh, are curious about heaven and the afterlife. Um, the reality of death uh, there's a lot of bad information out there that needs to be corrected. And then, uh, well, we're curious about heaven because God has created us to long for heaven. God's put heaven in our heart. I'm thinking of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, where it says God has put eternity into man's heart. God has put into your heart a longing and a craving and a hunger for heaven. There's this space in your heart for heaven. And no matter what you try to fill that space with, you'll still hunger 
And you'll still crave for heaven because nothing else can satisfy it. And you can try and try and try. And you might be temporarily satisfied, but you will not be forever satisfied because God has put eternity in your heart. And that longing that you feel is precisely what God has promised those who follow Jesus. And it's this. Heaven is this. Heaven is a resurrected life in a resurrected body with a resurrected Christ on a resurrected earth. There it is. Heaven, a resurrected life in a resurrected body. B-O-D-Y. Body. With the resurrected Christ on a resurrected earth. Hallelujah. That's right. And so to help us understand heaven... I want us to look at a passage of Scripture. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. You'll find that on page 909 of your church Bibles. If you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own and you'd like a copy, please just... Uh, take the copy that's in the pouch in front of you, put your name in it, and receive it as a gift from this church. Uh, what we're going to read is a, just an often overlooked event in the ministry of Christ called the Ascension of Christ. The Ascension of Christ. It was an event that occurred after the resurrection. For 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus bodily showed himself to his followers. And then dramatically, after 40 days, he departed from them out of this earthly dimension and stepped into the dimension of heaven where he was exalted and seated at the right hand of his father. And these verses help us understand heaven by helping us understand heaven's king. Acts chapter 1. Verse 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Let's just stop there. You may be thinking, first book, what's that? And who's Theophilus? And who's I? Who's I? Let me answer that, starting with the I. I, that's Luke. That's Luke. Luke is the author of Acts, and then that tells us what the first book was. That's the gospel of Luke. You see, Luke and Acts are actually a two-volume set, and it's written to an individual named Theophilus, uh, who may have been an actual person, or, or the name also means literally lover of God. So, so either this person whose name is Theophilus, uh, and he is a seeker, he wants to investigate Christianity, uh, and any who want to investigate Christianity need to read Luke. In the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do. So the implication is that what Jesus began, this volume is going to tell what he continues to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen... He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. 
And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water. That's John the Baptist. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Baptism literally means to immerse or to dip. And so Jesus is saying, just as John immersed and dipped in water in not too many days, you will be overwhelmed and immersed and forever changed by the Holy Spirit. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Clearly, these are angels now. And said, men of Galilee, why did you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is God's word. Well, what do you think about what you just read? The ascension of Christ. Now, if you're new to Christianity... Or if you, like Theophilus, may be exploring, investigating the truth of Christianity. Let me stop and acknowledge what you may be thinking right now. Well, that was odd. That's, this, is, this is weird. I mean, let's just acknowledge that, okay? Let's just, let's just get that out on the table and, 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 you know, part of the reason why this sounds so mythical is on us. Because I approach these verses as, you know, a 21st century American living in a university community who has seen such intellectually charged uh, films such as Toy Story and, uh, you know, remain a fan of Buzz Lightyear. And I read this and I'm going, really? I mean, is this, what, is this like Buzz to infinity and beyond. Is that what's going on here? And, 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 you know, has Jesus the Savior become this cosmic spaceman traveling to a galaxy far, far away, going where no man has gone before and the angels show up? I'm just waiting for the background music. That was Star Trek, by the way. I'm sure you guys get that. So, sound a little better first service, but I don't think you believe me. So. Okay, you know, do you know there's an app that you can get for your phone 
called Jesus Jump. <laughs> I'm not making this up. In which the risen Christ, so things get slow here in the next few minutes. So uh, the risen Christ bounces from cloud to cloud to cloud on his way back to heaven. And the game, the game ends. I can't believe I'm saying this. The game ends when Jesus misses a cloud and falls back to earth, which I think kind of complicates things theologically, you know. So... <laughs> You know, like, what is going on here, right? And, 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 and furthermore, listen, why would Jesus even need to leave? I mean, if the foundation of Christianity, if the cornerstone of Christianity is, in fact, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which, which I've examined the evidence, I, I, I believe that... Man got up from the dead bodily. Well, if that's the case, then why on earth would the most important piece of evidence leave the earth when the initial public offering is about ready to be made? Pentecost. Ten days later. Wouldn't it make sense for Christ to stay? And so if anybody doubts, we can just say, he's in Jerusalem. Go check it out. Go see. Seems to me like the ascension is bad strategy. You know? So what's this about? The ascension of Christ. If in fact, heaven is a resurrected life in a resurrected body with a resurrected Christ on a resurrected earth, how do these verses help us understand that? What's the take home for us. That's what I want us to explore today. And as we look at these verses, I want us to consider three quick commands. And here they are. These quick commands will just help us get what Luke is trying to tell us. Command number one, look up. Command number two, stop looking up. Command number three, Look ahead. All right, let's go there. First, look up. Look up. It's, it's in reference to Jesus. It's in reference to his identity. You see, the ascension is a proclamation of the identity of who Jesus is. Uh, so we need to consider this word ascension. I think of it in our modern day. So in England, when the queen ascended to the throne. Well, yeah, it's true that she climbed the steps to be seated on the royal chair, but to ascend means to receive all the authority and power necessary to rule. It leads to the coronation. So you see, the ascension is a declaration of status far more than it is a determination of location. I'll say that again. The ascension is a declaration of status Far more than it is a determination of location. The ascension is the enthronement of Jesus. The ascension confirms, confirms that all authority has been given to Jesus. Now, Jesus has always had all authority, but the ascension confirms that. The ascension is about the one true king who takes his rightful place as the supreme ruler of all that exists in heaven and earth. The ascension is a public event to state publicly that Jesus' rule is both private and public, heaven and earth, visible and invisible. 
It is Jesus' exclusive claim to be the sole creator, redeemer, and savior of all. So Jesus is not merely the spiritual king whose jurisdiction is limited to private religious matters. And we don't practice our faith as if Jesus kind of secretly sneaked away, not wanting to be a bother, so he took the service elevator up to heaven. The ascension doesn't urge us to hunker down holding Jesus devotedly in our hearts until we too can take that elevator up. One author said, we should not reduce the kingship of Jesus to a private affair for a ghetto people. Look up. Verse 9 says, and a cloud took him out of their sight. What does that mean? Well, this verse only makes sense if you remember Moses and his ascent to Mount Sinai where he entered a cloud, a cloud that covered him as he entered the presence of God himself. Exodus 24, 15. When Moses went up On the mountain, the cloud covered it. So the cloud is not a spaceship. Rather, the cloud is entering the very presence of God where Jesus is going for me. Jesus enters that cloud to be my go-between. And I said, well, why can't I go all by myself? For the same reason you can't hop the fence to the White House all by yourself. That's why. It's sacred space. You need an invitation. You need a mediator, a go-between. And Jesus is entering that sacred, heavenly space, God's space, for you. For you. So in the year A.D. 82, Rome opened to the public a monument called the Arch of Titus to commemorate Titus, who while general sacked Jerusalem in the year A.D. 70 and then later became emperor of Rome, And legend had it that when this emperor died, his spirit left the body and rose to heaven. And the Arch of Titus, if you go there to the city of Rome today, if you go beneath that arch and look at that ceiling, and you can see a sculptor which represents the soul of Titus being lifted up through the heavens to godlike status. Now listen to me. Luke knows all about the Arch of Titus. He does. And Luke is clear. He's very clear that it's not merely Jesus' soul, but it's his body. His body that ascends as if to upstage Caesar himself. Jesus is the reality. Caesar is the parody. 
This angel said, this Jesus, this risen Jesus, this Jesus who appeared to individuals and couples and groups of 12 and at one time 500, this Jesus who said, does a ghost have hands and feet? This Jesus who said, well, give me something to eat, you know? For 40 days, the disciples were grasping for words and adjectives and phrases to try to describe what it was they experienced. Jesus was no ghost, and yet he was not simply a resuscitated body. There was something different about his resurrection body. It wasn't the same. One New Testament scholar, uh, Tom Wright, says that Christ's body was transphysical. He had hands, feet, a face, a voice, a body. A body is simply a container, you know. But Jesus' body trumped the laws of nature. It, it was a transfigured, transcendent, transphysical body which could appear and disappear through locked doors. It was a body whose face could be veiled. And it was a body at home in both the earthly realm and the heavenly realm. And his promise is that we will be like him. Philippians 3, 20 to 21. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who will transform our lowly body. To be like his glorious body. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You're going to have an immortal body in the new heavens and the new earth. We've been, we've been listening to Greek philosophy and mythology far too long. We're influenced by it more than we want to admit. The Greeks said that the spirit is good and the body is bad. And biblical Christianity teaches that God wants to redeem us body, soul, and spirit. You will have a body in the new heavens and the new earth. Now, can you imagine having a body in which you can continue to learn and grow and sharpen your mind? A, a body that keeps exploring and studying and experiencing astonishment at all categories of knowledge. A body uh, and a brain even better than Solomon's in 1 Kings 4.9 where it says God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand of the seashore. If you go to 1 Kings chapter 4, you will read of Solomon, this uh, poet king, this theologian king, this lyricist, this biologist, this botanist, this zoologist, this ichthyologist. I mean, he knew stuff about plants, animals, fish. He could write, my goodness. You will keep growing and learning. Now listen, even in the new heavens and the new earth, you will never be all-knowing. God our Father is. But you will be ever-learning. Some of us would like to learn in places, but we can't get into those selective places. We can't get into those these elite university halls of academic excellence. We say, well, I'm too old to go back to school. Look up, look up. In seeing the ascension of Christ, you can see your future. Constant amazement, constant astonishment, constant learning, constant, oh, oh, wow, and constant worship as a result of it. Look up. 
resurrected life and a resurrected body with the resurrected Christ on a resurrected earth. No wonder they were gazing. No wonder. I mean, it was almost like they were gazing into a portal which opened into another dimension. I'm thinking of C.S. Lewis's wardrobe in the Chronicles of Narnia. And they're gazing and they're realizing there's a regime change going on here. There's a new emperor in town. And while they were gazing at this, suddenly, suddenly, hey, gentlemen, eyes up here, over here. Ceremony's over. There's work to do. Two men dressed in white robes, the angels. That's verse 11. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. It's almost a rebuke. Let's go, fellas. Come on. It's almost as if there's a danger that the, the disciples are going to get stuck so, so captivated by what's coming. They just kind of sit and wait and kind of hold discussions about what they saw and what it meant and all that. And well, Luke doesn't want them to get cozy. He doesn't want us to get cozy. He doesn't want us to get too comfy and, 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 and uh, uh, conversational about the times and dates of the kingdom. It'll come in good time, in God's time. In the meantime, Luke wants us serving and writing and thinking and relating and singing and worshiping on account of the ascension. He wants us working and researching and teaching and building and healing. And he wants us in finance and in medicine and education and construction and in business, married or not, single or not, parents or not. He wants us to do all we do for God's glory and the good of God's people. The ascension calls us to look up to Jesus and then to stop looking up because the mission of Christ has now become our mission. And so he wants us in Peru and in the Dominican Republic and in Haiti and, yes, in Champaign County as well. The disciples asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? Well, yes and no. The kingdom will be restored. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. The kingdom will be restored, but not the way you think. The war is not going to be done the way wars are usually done. Not this time. You will receive power. It will be the power to love. The power to serve. The power to witness. The power to be courageous. The power to speak truth in love. Even when your life is on the line. The power to patiently wait. I'm thinking again of something C.S. Lewis wrote. Think of yourself just as a seed patiently waiting in the earth, waiting to come up a flower in the gardener's good time, up into the real world, the real awakening. And he says this, he says, I suppose that our whole present life looked back on from there will seem only a drowsy half-wakening. We are here in the land of dreams, but I tell you, sunrise is coming. Look up. Okay, now stop looking up. 
Now look ahead. Look ahead. And why? Because there is a sovereign king on the throne. Because there is a king enthroned in the heavenly realm who is right now working all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Listen, when suffering enters your door, when you are grieving the loss of someone or something significant, or when you're dealing with unexpected disappointment, where do you look to for hope or rest or comfort? Where do you turn to when you're in a situation that you never thought you'd be in and you can't change a thing? What gets you up in the morning when you're being required to deal with the things that you have no desire to face? Where do you run to when people have failed you and God seems impossible to understand? What gets you through when life has stopped being easy and enjoyable? You may not be suffering now, but someone you know is. So what comfort do you have for them? Our comfort is that while we slept last night, the king of creation, this Jesus, was at work subduing his enemies, continuing his rule over the world. He was still at it when you woke up this morning and even now in our time of worship. That is the outrageous claim of the ascension. And it's outrageous because our world does not acknowledge his rule. But that does not detour us. Luke tells us the glorious news that our king still lives and that his kingdom will not advance by means of Roman legions for a bayonet can never change the human heart. Only the word of God can. Christ's kingdom advances wherever his word is shared. And I tell you this, listen to me. As you read through the book of Acts, you realize that in that time, no foreign army could get into the capital city of the Roman Empire because Rome was too fortified for that kind of a fight. But in Acts chapter 28, the apostle Paul is there and the gospel is going out. Rome has been sacked by the gospel. Jesus is king. That's the outrageous claim. Christianity's always been that way. Christ's kingdom always advances wherever his word is shared. And so every time someone begins to follow Christ, his kingdom comes. Every time we choose forgiveness over bitterness, his kingdom comes. Every time we endure adversity, act selflessly, and repay violence with love, Christ's kingdom comes. Every time, every time you witness a baptism, every time you see a missions trip, every time you read your Bible, every time you live your Bible, Christ's kingdom comes. Christ calls us to be a life-changing community, the place in our community where our community sees Christ in us. But it's not just that Jesus is merely king in our hearts or in our memories It's that there is an enfleshed king in the heavenly realm. He's more than merely a king. In the heavenly realm right now, there is a kingly priest. A royal high priest. A compassionate priest. Sovereign king, compassionate priest. Mediating on my behalf. And he is enfleshed. 
And his body is thus far the first and only body that is home, at home in both worlds. The miracle of Christianity is that at the birth of Christ, God put on flesh. And at the ascension of Christ, we learn that Jesus entered the heavenly realm still enfleshed. He who is divine put on flesh and now enfleshed, he enters into the divine place for you, for me. As a royal high priest, Jesus appears in the presence of God, bearing our names as a memorial to God. He is the sign. He is the reminder. He is the pledge. He is the guarantee that we belong in the presence of God. Our our presence before God is as certain as Christ's presence before God. This is such good news because, frankly, there are times when I doubt, when I doubt, or feel guilt over um, my past or regret over poor choices. And when I feel I've gone too far, Or when I am beyond the reach of God's grace, I'm reminded by the ascension that I have an advocate in heaven before the Father. He is for us. And while he stands in heaven, we are secure in God's family. And church family, even in the final day, you know, the angel says, This Jesus will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Even on that final day when Jesus does return to earth, he will not leave heaven behind. Oh no. He doesn't leave heaven to come and collect us and then take us back to heaven. No, no. He brings heaven to earth to create the new heavens and the new earth. He brings the presence of God to the people of God. That's that's Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. There's no other religion on the face of this earth that teaches this. Every other religion insists that if you want to be with God, if you want to get to heaven, you got to get there. It's do more, try harder, and we'll see. Christianity says, no way. No, because of Jesus, God comes to us. Because of Jesus, he's going to make his home with us. Christianity is not do more, try harder. Christianity is, I want to be with you. And Jesus has made that happen. Now, Who loves you more than that? Our destiny. Resurrected life and a resurrected body with a resurrected Christ on a resurrected earth. So several years ago, Sarah and I saw this movie. Bucket List. You've seen it? Yeah. Jack Nicholson, Morgan Freeman. This bucket list, you know, this inventory of uh, activities and experiences that people, you know, want to do before they kick the bucket. And, you know, the idea is that, you know, since our time on earth is limited, 
If something is that important for us to do, we, we need to do it now because this is our only chance to do it. And, and yeah, you know, that makes perfect sense if you don't believe in any afterlife. The one worldview in which, you know, the bucket list makes no sense is Christianity. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. You know, if you have a bucket list, I'm not judging you. I'm not. I, I, in fact, if you, Sarah and I enjoy life. We enjoy going places and doing new things. And if you've got a list of things that you'd like to do and God gives you the resources, then go for it. But the bucket list mentality, you know, that this life is our only chance to enjoy adventure and fun, you will not find that in the Bible. And why? Isaiah 26, 19. But your dead will live. Their bodies will rise. You who dwell in the dust, wake up and shout for joy. The earth will give birth to her dead. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 52. We will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. And Paul again in Philippians 3, 20 and 21, the Lord Jesus Christ will transform our lowly body so that they will be like his glorious body. Listen to me. You don't need a bucket list. You need a post-bucket list. Yeah. The ascension of Christ promises that death is not the end of adventure. Rather, death is our exit from a world where dreams and adventures shrink and death is our entrance into a world where dreams and adventures forever expand. And it's not merely because Jesus died and rose, but that he died and rose and ascended and is seated in the flesh, ruling and mediating for you. Even now. So church family. <laughs> look up. Stop looking up. Look ahead. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. For doing for us what we cannot do ourselves. Thank you that while we slept last night, you reigned. And while we worship here this morning, you mediate. You are for us. And our presence before our Father is as secure as your presence. What's true of you is true of us. What hope. What love. What wondrous love is this. God's people said, Amen.